0: Well, I'm excited to introduce our next speaker, Bill McCurran of San Diego. Um, Bill has become a perennial speaker here, and you're soon to find out why he gets invited back year after year. I think it's uh, somehow providential that I should be the one to introduce Bill. You see, I know something very special about Bill that probably only his wife and a few other select men know. That is, God speaks directly to Bill. Now, you may ask how I could possibly know such a thing. It was my privilege last year at this conference to share a cabin with Bill. And that first night, as we all headed up, and it was late already, and we got ready to retire to our beds, Bill to his Sealy Posturepedic and me to the Sofa Heida bed which he had so graciously reserved for me. It wasn't very long before I heard a strange sound emanate from the vicinity of Bill's bedside. Now, I say strange, gentlemen, because I wear hearing aids, and I'd removed them for the night. So it was not totally clear to me, but whatever it lacked in clarity was more than made up for in volume. (coughs) It was, as the writer of Hebrews described, a voice that shook the earth. It was, as the Apostle John in Revelation 1 said, a great trumpet, the sound of many waters. I would describe it as an 18-wheeler going up a steep mountain pass. But however you want to describe it, it resulted in a sleepless night for me. And as morning approached, my eyes red rimmed with fatigue, I thought there must be at least one redeeming feature about this sleepless, miserable, nocturnal experience. And that is that Bill will give an inspired message the next morning. And in that, gentlemen, I wasn't disappointed. And neither will you be disappointed today. Bill, come on up here.
1: Is it is it on? You know, um, Lon didn't tell you the whole truth. (laughs) He told you part of the truth. But he didn't tell you the whole truth. Yes, apparently, I snored, but not all through the night. Because apparently, Lon had a unique way of getting me to stop snoring. It wasn't a plastic strip over my nose. It wasn't shaking me to say, Bill, could you stop snoring? Rather, he climbed in the bed with me. Kissed me on the neck (laughs) and told me he loved me. (laughs) Gentlemen, I was afraid to breathe for the next. (laughs) I got to tell you, a, um, can I tell you a, a joke? Nothing. Say yes, because I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> this guy is walking along the, the beach, and he sees this little glimmer in the sand, and he reaches down, and he pulls it out. And it's a bottle-looking type thing, and he does like that. <clears> How <throat> comes this genie, but this is not an ordinary genie. This is a genie with an attitude. And he comes out and he says, look, I was sleeping. I don't want to wake up. I'm telling you right off the bat, I'm a one-wish genie. I'm not a three-wish genie. It won't do you any good to wish for other wishes. You got one wish. Let's hear it. I want to go back in the bottle. You know, the guy's kind of taken aback by this. And he says, well, you know, um, I've never been to Hawaii. But I'm afraid to fly, and I'm afraid of boats. I would like you to build a bridge from San Diego to Hawaii. And the genie looked at him. He, he said, you must be nuts. Do you realize how far it is from San Diego to Hawaii? Do you know how deep the ocean is? Do you know there are mountains down there? Do you realize the logistics of I'm not doing it. You pick another wish. <laughs> so he, he, he thinks for a while. He said, well, you know, I have been married and divorced three times. I've never understood my wives. I, I, I don't know. When they cry, are they happy or are they sad? And when when they say nothing's wrong, does that mean nothing's wrong? Or something is terribly wrong? I want you to help me make me understand women. And the genie looked at him. You want that bridge two lanes or You know I'm getting, uh, I'm getting older, I know it's hard to tell. And uh, there's a story that just expresses part of where my wife and I are at our age. Husband and wife have been married a long time. And they notice that they are forgetful about things. So they decide that they will go to the doctor they share and discuss this. So they go to the doctor. And the doctor says, look, I, I, I just need to tell you, it's just part of growing old. He said, there's no medication you can take for it, but there are some pre- behavioral modifications. Let me suggest that you take a, a pad and just write a little note card. Just write stuff down that you want to remember and keep it in your pocket, and I, I think that'll help. It's reasonable It sounds a good idea, and they go home. Next morning, they wake up about the same time. The husband stretches, gets out of bed, and the wife says, where are you going? He says, I'm going to go into the kitchen. She said, well, would you bring my pills? He said, sure. She said, now write it down. (laughs) I don't need to write that down. He's walking out the bed. She said, write it down. (laughs) And as he's walking toward, she shouts one more time, write it down. And he just, silly. And after a few minutes, she hears all this racket in the kitchen. And 30 minutes later, he walks back in, carrying one of these breakfast trays. And it's got coffee and eggs and bacon. And he sits it down in front of her on the the table, on the bed. And she shakes her head in disgust. She said, I told you, write it down. Where's the toast? I'm going to uh, take you through part of the Abrahamic covenant today. And I need four readers. So I'd like four guys to volunteer. I'll tell you what the passages are. First one is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 5. Michael Melford, you'll do that. The next one will be Genesis 15, verses 1 through 10. Who will take that? Okay, Rob, you'll take that. Rob, raise your hand again, Rob. The next one is Genesis 15:11 through 21. Could you raise your hand again so that he can see you? Okay. And then last will be Genesis uh, 17, verse 1 through 10. Who will do that? Okay. Chuck, is it Chuck? Yeah. And, and actually, uh, one more after that. Genesis 17, verses 11 through 19. We'll do that good okay let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer <coughs> heavenly father we just thank you for your word which you have exalted even above your own name we ask that you would open your hearts our hearts and teach us help us to apply the truths that your spirit communicates to us every day in the name of Jesus we ask this amen Hey, Michael, would you lead us off? Genesis
2: 12:1 through5. Now the Lord said to Abram, "Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing." and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse And in, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he had departed from Haran and Abram took Sarah, his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan.
1: Thank you. Next, uh, Genesis fifteen one through 10. <laughs> Rob, right here.
3: After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram, in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you, your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is El-Azir of Damascus? And Abram said, Since thou hast given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, count the stars, he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, Of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds.
1: Yes, and then the next uh, reader is, yes, 11 through 21. He's got you.
4: And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, your descendants I have given this land from the river of
1: Egypt as far as the great river the, the river Euphrates you can stop there and then Genesis 17 1 through 10 who has that okay Chuck has it the Lord when Abram was 99 years old the Lord
5: appeared to him and said I am God Almighty walk before me and be blameless I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers to be your God, and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you, and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep, Every male among you shall be circumcised.
6: And lastly, verses 11 through 19. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, king of peoples, will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As, and as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers. I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by the time this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Thank you. Now, let me tell you right off the bat, when discussing
1: the Abrahamic Covenant, I am going to, as Walt warned you, move so quickly that you won't realistically be able to take notes, meaningful notes. But uh, this is, presentation is also in an outline outline form, and uh, Tom Callahan will be able to print it out for anybody who wants a copy, and it will have everything that you see on these slides. Okay. The Abrahamic
6: Covenant.
1: I want to give you an overview this morning. Um, One, I'm going to talk about the definition of covenant. I'm going to contrast the Abrahamic Old and New Covenants. I'm going to talk about the Abrahamic Covenant and the family of man. And then the Abrahamic Covenant, the mystery of the gospel, and the Great Commission will be in. Now, to start off about the Abrahamic Covenant, the first thing I want us to talk about is diversity. Diversity. That diversity is God's plan from the very beginning. That multiracialism and cross-culturalism have been God's plan from the beginning. For us on a human level without Jesus Christ, diversity presents itself as a terrible, sometimes seemingly insurmountable problem. The Hutus and the Tutsis look at each other, each blaming the other for the atrocities that began generations and generations previous. The Croats and the Serbs mount the same stories as they mutilate each other, each blaming the other for the beginning of the atrocities. Diversity is a terrible problem outside of Jesus Christ. But I want to submit to you that it is God's plan for his own glory. Now, a covenant is a type of contract, but it differs from a contract. I want to talk about the similarities first in both covenants and contract, there must be a knowing offer. There must, in addition, by knowing offer, I mean you have to set out the terms. If you do this, blah, 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 send me 15 computers, I'll pay you $35,000. The computers have to have the following specs. Uh, and you have to be conditions in them. But the second thing, there has to be a knowing acceptance. What you're signing is a contract, not a will. Uh, And the contract is, we have what they call fraud in the inducement in the law when the person thinks they're signing, for example, a birthday card and in fact they're signing over their mortgage to you. That's fraud and it will be set aside because it has to be a knowing acceptance. And it has to be legal and binding. And one party's breach may excuse performance by the non-breaching party. So if we have a deal And part of that deal is that I am going to sell you such and such, but you have to give me a down payment within 48 hours of $1,000. And on the 49th hour, you come. I am freed from uh, fulfilling my part of the bargain because you didn't produce the $1,000 within the 48 hours that we agreed to. But there are differences between contracts and biblical covenants. A covenant, for example, does not have to be conditional. One party, generally the dominant party, can bind himself to act even if the other party does not perform. The dominant person sets the terms and conditions of the covenant, and the weaker party agrees to the terms but does not negotiate the terms. It's either yes, I accept, or no, I don't. And a covenant is sealed with or ratified by blood. Now God speaks to Abraham, Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house to a land that I'll show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in thee all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now there are two significant parts of nationhood, if you would, or peoplehood involved in this covenant. One is that he is going to make a separate and distinct nation. That's one part of the covenant. But the other part of the covenant is in you, how many families? All. And the Hebrew word that's translated families is also translated kindred families or kinds if I were to state it in a easier English version in you all people groups will be blessed so two different things are going on by God the maker of the covenant one he is going to create a distinct and separate nation but in addition to that two in Abraham then Abram all people groups shall be blessed not 95% of the people groups all people groups now when god speaks to abram at this time it's not yet a covenant because there's not a, there's a there is a knowing offer but there's not yet a knowing acceptance and it's not yet sealed in or ratified by blood now later in chapter 15, God restates what will be the covenant with Abram, and he says, "And this is Abram speaking. God, how will I know that I'll inherit this land called Canaan, which you and I today would call Israel?" And he said unto him, "Take a heifer three years old, and a she-goat three years old, and a ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon." And he took, he took all of these and divided them in half, split them down the middle, except for the pigeons, which you laid opposite each other, facing each other. And it created, if you would, like an alleyway or passageway. You with me? On one one side of the alleyway, there's half of each animal and one pigeon, one turtle dove, facing each other. And God took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you can count them. And he said to, and he, God said to Abram, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed God. And God counted it to him for righteousness. Now, believing God preceded the covenant. Preceding God. Now, the cov- God has stated the terms of the covenant, but it hasn't been ratified yet. And God then states the covenant this way. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, I want you to certainly know that your seed will be aliens in a foreign land and they shall be slaves in that land, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they will serve I will judge, and afterward your kindred will come out with great substance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace you shall be buried in a good old age but in the fourth generation they shall come forth again for the iniquity of the Amorites that's one of the, the primary people groups in Canaan is not yet full and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark behold a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between the pieces that Abram had provided for the sacrifice under God's instructions in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river the river Euphrates now now there was a knowing offer and a knowing acceptance and now it was ratified by blood the sacrifice The smoking furnace and the burning lamp both represent God himself. The smoking furnace is God as a consuming fire. This expresses both the passion of God to fulfill his covenant or all his promises and that God is a God of judgment. When God's passion with his people confronts us, we find that he is a consuming fire in that he will consume the dross of our lives so that gold will be left. When it says in Hebrews, he scourges every son whom he receiveth. And one of the ways that we know that we are the children of God is that he is concerned enough about us anxious enough to fulfill this covenant with Abram that he consumes by fire. He chastises. So for the elect, this consuming fire, painful as it may be, and as reluctant as we may be to undergo it, is part of the soul's desire to be conformed to the image of Christ. But for the non-elect, God as a consuming fire is a terrible thing. For there is nothing but pain and destruction and no reformation, no regeneration in that part. And as the burning lamp, God is the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. And because he is the light of the world, Jesus says to us later on in Matthew that we as his representatives are the light of the world. So God himself passed between the sacrifices of Abram. And he left, he passed revealing his own character. That he is a jealous God, that he is a God of judgment, and that he is a God who will provide everything for his people. One commentator said that only God passed through, not Abram showing an unconditional promise on God's part, not dependent on Abram's fulfilling his part of the contract, since Abram had no such part. It was all of God in response to Abram's living faith. It is all of God. This vision also foretold the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus presented himself a living sacrifice. When Abram, later called Abram Abraham, was called to sacrifice Isaac at Mount Moriah, and he lifted that blade with the full intention of plunging it into Isaac in obedience to God. It said that the angel of the Lord called out to him and and. It is so significant. He said, Abram, Abraham, stop. Gentlemen, the reason it was stated twice, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham was so committed to this act. He was so engrossed and entranced in this act that God had to shout at him to get him to stop. You understand? And God told Abraham, I see that you obey.'" and that you want me more than you want Isaac. Because when God told him to sacrifice Isaac, he said, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him. And I mean Isaac, your only son, the son whom you love, that one to leave no doubt. But in his own case, God gave his only begotten son and did not withhold his sacrifice for our purpose. This kind of sacrifice cannot be made without the complete surrender of the thing sacrificed and the shedding of blood. It was the blood of Jesus that was spilt for us all the way to the cross. So Abraham, not yet knowing, Jesus Christ nor the Messiah and not understanding fully the significance of the sacrifice yet in the sacrifice foretold that God would not withhold his only son to ratify the contract or covenant for our sakes and Jesus' death the Lamb of God represented his slaying from the foundation of the world so he seals the covenant by the death of his own son his only son, the one whom he loves, Jesus and gives Abram now a new name and Genesis 15 that we've gone over states the covenant and in Genesis 16, right after God has stated the covenant to Abram Abram has a terrible lapse of faith he is old Sarah is old God has made this promise about an heir several times over Abraham's long life with no physical evidence that the promise would in fact be fulfilled. And Sarah concocts this incredible scheme to take her handmaid, give Hagar to Abraham. Abraham would then impregnate her and that would be the son that would represent God's promise. And it is such a tendency on the part of us, if you're like me, and I, don't, I hope you're not, so I don't want to slander any of you to say that you're like me, to manipulate the promises of God in our lives by taking circumstances in our own hands to bring about what God has already said he would do by himself so after that terrible experience and hagar produces ishmael god comes back in genesis 17 and in mercy and grace reaffirms and expands the covenant with not a single word of rebuke to abraham for the lapse of faith and he renames him abraham and this time seals the covenant with a permanent in the flesh reminder of circumcision. This time it was for Abraham's benefit and his seed's benefit to be constantly reminded of God's covenant. As for me, God said, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham for I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. And indeed, the Hebrew word Abraham means father of a multitude or chief of a multitude. Now, if you look at this in the King James Version, it will have a tendency to say, I will make you the father of a multitude of people. But the Hebrew word that is used there means people groups. The word is in the plural, though it's often translated in the singular. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, Paul says in Galatians Know ye therefore that they which are of the faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying in thee all people groups. Now here Paul is writing in the Greek. And the Greek word that he uses that is translated nations is ethnos. Ethnos from which we get ethnic, or ethnicity. In the all people groups shall be blessed. Now, gentlemen, when I say people groups, if we look at South America, you might think there is one people group there because they speak Spanish. There are multitudes of people groups in South America, the Chileans and the Argentinians and the Indian tribes who live in their various mountains all represent distinct people groups. The Incas, the Aztecs, distinct people groups. When you go, I had the pleasure of hearing one of our saints from India, Joseph D'Souza, who is Indian, not Portuguese, tell me that there are 21 official languages in India. Official. There are hundreds of unofficial languages. Hundreds, hundreds of people groups in in India, some of which are smaller than 5,000 people. In thee, all people groups shall be blessed. God's divine plan involved diversity from the very beginning. And when God works out this Abrahamic covenant, it passed from through Abram all the way to the book of Revelation. I want to talk to you now quickly about the differences between the Abrahamic old and the new covenants. The old covenant in Exodus is described this way. God speaking to the people through Moses. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, not the Abrahamic covenant a new covenant, new at that time. You will be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. Remember, when God gave the covenant to Abraham, it had two nations talked about. A distinct and separate nation, which you and I would call Jews or Hebrews or Israelites, And then a multitude of people groups, all the people groups, everybody else who isn't Jewish. Okay? These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord commanded him, i.e., the terms of the covenant. And all the people answered together and very faithfully. All that the Lord has spoken. We will do. Next, please. This is restated again in Jeremiah. Obey my voice and I will be your God. And ye shall be my people and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. This is a conditional covenant. When the Hebrew people passed into the promised land, they had to pass between two mountain peaks on each of the mountain peaks was a trumpeter and on each of the opposing mountain peaks that faced one another there was a man who cried out and they passed between the mountain peaks and from one mountain peak the man shouted blessings if you obey the Lord I will enrich your land I will bless, 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 bless but on the other mountain peak There was a man shouting curses. If you do not keep my covenant, then you will be cursed. It was a conditional covenant. God said, I will act if you do A, B, and C. And to their misfortune, the Jews accepted the covenant saying, All that you say, every term you put down, we agree to." The Old Covenant is actually tied to the Ten Commandments. It has much of the function of the Old Covenant, I mean, of the Ten Commandments, the law. Basically, to teach us that we are unable to keep such a covenant. That such a covenant is a burden, not a liberation. That the law as a means to salvation is so far beyond our ability to keep that it is a threat to our very existence, and that if we have to depend upon ourselves even one whit to fulfill the covenant, we are utterly, hopelessly lost. But then Jesus came, and he represented a new covenant. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like this conditional covenant, And with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No God, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Clearly, this new covenant is superior to the old. It is internal, whereas the old was external. In the new, God saves and sanctifies. In the old, man saw himself as doing most of the work. I've got to do A, B, and C to be saved. In the New Covenant, man says, God, I am utterly dependent on you. If you do not enable me, I shall surely fail. And in the Old Covenant, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, Paul tells us that these covenants have a deeper meaning tied to the book of Genesis. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by Hagar, the slave, and one by Sarah, the free woman. But the son by Hagar was born according to the flesh, and the son by Sarah through the promise. This is, allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, and one proceeding from Mount Sinai being children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children but the Jerusalem above is free for she is our mother. The old covenant the one of Hagar represented man trying to do it himself. Manipulating the promises of God and saying well I I understand God wants me to get from A to B. But I don't see how he can get there. So let me take control of it myself. And I will get me from A to B. (laughs) Next part. The Abrahamic covenant and the family of man. Let me rehearse again from Galatians and Paul's discussion of the covenant with Abraham. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye that they which are of the faith are called the children of Abraham. Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying in thee all, say it with me, people groups, say people groups, all people groups will be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And gentlemen, that word that's translated heathen—what is a heathen? It's say it. Somebody else. I heard it over here. It's a non-Jew. It's that word is actually translated elsewhere most of the time as Gentiles. In fact, I bring it out. Go back one. Uh, 93 times it appears in the Bible, that word appears as Gentiles. 64 times it appears as nation. Five times it appears as people. It's that same Greek word, ethnos, again, from which we get ethnic and ethnicity. Okay. Now remember God said, I'm going to bless all families in you. And All nations will be blessed in you. And again, God is taking the same theme, one distinct nation, but then every single people group will come to know me through the exercise of faith, as did Abraham. Now, from Genesis 9, and this is a King James Version. I'm giving you the King James Version to show some of the difficulties of translation. Now, before Abraham, obviously, there was Noah. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. And these are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. But the better translation from the New American Standard, the more correct translation from the Hebrew, is that these were the three sons of Noah And from these the whole earth was what populated how much of the earth okay next please Acts 17 26 28 from one man well let me back up and give you a little background on this Paul has come to Athens he is at Mars Hill which is sort of the academic cultural debate center Uh, it is like going to the steps of the White House and delivering a speech or going to the state capitol or to the university center where all the big intellectuals get together and discuss the issues of the day there it's called Mars Hill and Paul has come to evangelize and take the gospel and he sees all these different statues to different gods and off on the side is one and it's actually in a kind of decrepit state at the time that Paul is there and it has an inscription that says to the unknown God and Paul says to the, to the God whom you do not know I come to declare to you because the Greeks had a God for everything, for everything but it's a very interesting story about this statue to the unknown God because years, centuries earlier Athens was confronted with a terrible plague and the Athenians did everything they could in appealing to the pantheon of Greek gods to take away the plague without any success. And they were dying in great numbers. And someone said that they heard in one of the neighboring lands with which they were at war or in conflict. So I understand that there is a man there called Epimenides, who knows the one God. Perhaps if we go to him and bring him here, he would intercede to the one God because that God isn't represented in our pantheon. And since our gods have failed to end the plague, maybe this God will. And they persuade Epimenides to come. And they said, what shall we do? And he said to them, I'm not sure. Let me pray. And then after prayer, he said, I want you to take a certain number of sheep. I can't remember the number. Let me say 50. I want you to put them in a pen, isolate them, and make sure that they are unable to eat anything for a certain number of days. Anything. And when that the number of days expire, I want you to leave them out to a, a pasture that is rich with grass. This is the end of side one. Please turn the tape over for side two. And they scratched their head. What a stupid idea this was. But what else could they do? So they did that. And after the end of the days, the, the sheep came out, and certain sheep just sat down in the middle of all this pasture and did not eat. There's only a very small number that did not eat. The rest, of course, were eating like crazy because they were famished. And they came to him, and they said, well, what it, what's this all about? He said, well, we have to depend on the one God to reveal himself to us we cannot presume that we know how to sacrifice to him or what is an acceptable sacrifice to him. So we have to know that the sacrifice is one that he approves of. And so if we separate these sheep and we try to pick them, we're going to mess it up. But only the one God could take famished sheep and have them sit in a field of food and not eat. And it's those sheep we will sacrifice. Sacrifice the sheep, the plague ended. And as a tribute to that God who identified himself and specified the sacrifice acceptable to him, they erected this statue because now they also did not presume to name him. They had named all their other gods, but they had realized presumption. And so they said to the unknown God, that is the God that Paul came to reveal to them. And so he says to them, from one man, he made every people group. Again, that word nation is ethnos. From one man, he made every people group that they should inhabit the whole earth. And God determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live for why? Why? So that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. From how many men? Now, gentlemen, I'm only saying this because I'm trusting that the Bible is true. So that means that if Bart gets on his genealogical train and goes back in time past his grandmother and his great-grandmother and back and back and back he's going to hit the line of Noah and he's going to go back and he's going to hit who? Adam. Adam. And if Jonathan Kim gets on his genealogical train and goes back in time From wherever he starts, he's going to come to a juncture that says Noahville and switch trains and go right back down to Adamstown. And when me, African American, get on that same train, we're all going to wind up at Noah looking at each other. How did you get here, Kim? And how did you get here, Bart? Well, I'm going home. I got my ticket. Why are you getting on this train? And why are you going here? We'll be on the same train, same stop, same man. One man. From one man, God made every single people group. Why? So that we would seek him. The diversity that plagues us is God's plan to drive us to seek him. And not only did he determine that, he determined when we would live. I have never met a Canaanite raise your hand if you have because at some point it ended and I know that my great great grandfather lived someplace in Africa and got by slave trade over here to the United States evil 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 but God was behind that movement why? so that we would seek him And perhaps find him. So the people who are in France or who are in the current Croatia or who are in Turkmenistan or who are in Iran, the saints who are there, the elect who are there, are there for one reason only, that they would seek God and perhaps find him. Gentlemen, that's our family tree. Now, Ham, one of the sons of Noah, had four sons, Canaan, Mizraim, Cush, and Foot. Mizraim is simply the Hebrew word that is translated in the Bible, Egypt. And if you look in your Bible, you will find the word Mizraim. And when it mentions Mizraim, it just means Egypt. It is a name. And the people groups took on the name of the progenitor. And the area took the name of the progenitor who founded the land. Just like in, in, San, in California, there is Victorville. Started after the family named Victor. Canaan, the land of Canaan, was started after whom? Canaan. When the, the area that was eventually called Jerusalem was then called um. Uh, well, I can't even remember how they pronounce it now but the people were called Jebusites another one of the offspring here was Jebu okay so Kush Kush is the Hebrew word for what if you were here first session you can't say just take a wild guess what Kush means Ooh, well that's good <laughs> I want a wild guess. Cush is the Hebrew word for black. And Ethiopia is simply the Greek rendering of that word. Ops means face, and ethi means burnt. Ethiopia is simply the Greek word for burnt-faced people. Cush is simply the Hebrew word for black. All right? Now, simple genetics... Ham is what color? Black. <laughs> there was no dispute about this in scholars because this was the whole basis, the theological basis for slavery. Remember God, the curse of Ham? And therefore we know that black people ought to be slaves because God cursed Ham and Ham was black. Everybody, it was not, It was. this was never an issue of debate. All right? So, now, now think of this, Ham has four black sons. What you and I, if we saw him on the street, we'd say, oh, there's a black guy. We would not say, oh, look, there goes Mel Gibson. We'd say, no, look, there goes Denzel Washington, okay? Canaan, Mizraim, Cush and foot. Now, God always intended the Jews to be an evangelistic, missionary people encompassing all peoples. And so he intends the church today. Yeah, I'm glad you had that look on your face. Isaac takes the blessing. Now remember, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Esau was the firstborn, but Jacob grabbed his heel as they were coming from the womb. And Isaac knew and Rebecca his wife knew that the blessing of Abraham would pass through Isaac and through Jacob but Rebecca was concerned that Isaac would not adhere to the covenant leading of God because the Bible tells us that Isaac loved Esau but Rebecca Loved Jacob, and Isaac loved Esau because Isaac, like me, liked meat, and Esau was a good hunter. It's sad to think that it was such a primitive issue, but that's what the Bible tells us. And the, uh, Rebecca was so concerned that Isaac would disobey God and pass the blessing to Esau, the firstborn, rather than the secondborn, that she concocted this terrible plan. That the twin Jacob would pretend to be uh, uh, Esau. He would. They would get instead of going hunt. They would get a lamb from the flock, and then they would put some skin over his arms because Esau was a very hairy man. Disguise his voice a bit, not successfully enough because Isaac said, "Well, you smell like Esau, and you feel like Esau, but the voice is Jacob's." He said, "Oh no, Dan, I'm Esau." And so Isaac passed on the blessing that he was supposed to pass on anyway to the right done, but he did it by trickery. And he was furious. He was furious. But then, bless his heart, later, realizing that he had been tricked, tricked probably because his own flesh wanted to pass the blessing to Esau, his favorite son. He later knowingly passed the blessing on to Jacob. But now Jacob, he's passed the blessing on knowingly because Jacob's got to split. Because Esau is so mad at, at at Jacob getting the blessing that he's going to kill him. And the mother knows this so she said, look, you got to get out of here quick because Jacob, I mean Esau, he's hunting you. He's going to kill you. And so here's the blessing That Isaac passes on. And he says to him, I'm passing on to you the blessing of Abraham. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of what? Peoples. The King James still, I think, mistranslated, mistranslated in the singular. It is a plural that you will be a company of peoples so Jacob was left alone now after this blessing and he's fleeing out of here to go to Laban his mother's uh, brother or uncle I can't remember and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak and when the man saw that he could not overpower him he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man then the man said let me go for it is daybreak but Jacob replied I will not let you go unless you bless me and the man asked him what's your name and he said Jacob and Jacob then the man said you will no longer be called Jacob but Israel I'm changing your name because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome Jacob said please tell me your man and man said you don't need to know but anyway now Israel is the Hebrew word for he will rule as God or victorious with God but The name Jacob had meant hill-planter or hill-grabber or supplanter or deceiver. Now, God renames Jacob just as he had renamed Abram. And the renaming came after a lapse of faith and a crisis of faith. In each instance there was an attempt to manipulate the will of God for fear that the living God, omnipotent and omniscient, could not bring about his own promises. As though, gentlemen, we could save ourselves. As though Jesus needs us to produce our salvation. Yet God mercifully reappeared to Jacob and affirmed his covenant with him, in this vision in which he was renamed now Jacob's name is what Israel now remember that Abraham began as a missionary how do we know that God called him out of his home and God was so emphatic, I said I want you to leave your home leave your father's house leave your relatives leave everything you know and I want you to go into a land called Canaan where you will be a stranger isn't that exactly what missionaries do They leave their home, and they go to a place, another land, another culture, where they will be strangers. Okay. Israel as a nation was born on the mission field. Let me repeat that. Israel as a nation was born on the mission field. Now, All the souls, I'm reading from Genesis 46, all the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's sons' wives, all the souls were threescore and six, and the sons of Joseph, which were born him in Egypt, were two souls. So that all the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten, which means seventy people that is, from his own loins, because there were other people with him. He had servants, etc. Now, 70 people go into Egypt just as God told Abram when he was setting out the conditions of the covenant. Your people will go where? In a strange land. And what will happen to them there? They will be slaves, and after 400 years, I will free them and lead them out. So here we are now on the other side of that promise. In Exodus 12, the Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, and there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. When the Hebrew people marched out of Egypt, they did not leave alone. The Bible says that a mixed multitude went out with them. And that word mixed means a whole mixture of people. The NIV says many other people went up with them. If you look at the Hebrew word peoples, it's in the plural, not the singular. Many other peoples went with them why was now think of this egypt is the political economic cultural center of the world of the known world at that time based largely on the richness of the nile that's where you go just like in our country people will go from from africa from india from south america to come to our schools to work in our plants because this is an economic and educational center so was egypt many people groups in San Diego public schools 40 different languages are spoken now so why was the mixed multitude able to leave now think of what had happened when Moses first went to Pharaoh and said I come from God and he said let my people go and Pharaoh said I don't know God and I will not let the people go and there was a series of confrontations between God and Egypt. Now, remember, Egypt is Mizraim. He is the son of Cush, uh, son of Ham. It is what you and I would call a black people group. Okay? Um, now, it is interesting that in in God's challenge of Egypt, or Pharaoh, he challenged all the categories of God's, that existed in Egypt. The plague started with their gods of the water, elevated up to the gods of the land, elevated it up to the gods of the atmosphere. That's why the, the flies could come out of the atmosphere. And elevated it up to Ra, who was the sun god and the god of life. So all of these confrontations were elevations in God's confrontation with the different gods of Egypt. And he, of course, kicked butt all the way up the ladder. Is that a theological, did I address that theologically? <laughs> all right. Uh, let's take some examples. God is speaking in Exodus 8 uh, and through Moses, and he says, look, on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. That is basically the Jewish ghetto. That's where all the Jews live in the land of Egypt. They have one area set aside for them, and it's called Goshen. Where my people live, no swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that the Lord is in this land. See, at that time, all over the world, people believed that their gods were territorial. And within their boundaries, their gods reigned supreme. But once their gods went up to the boundary, they kind of lost their power. So here is the God of the universe coming in to Egypt. Not his quote, home turf, taking on all the gods of Egypt and winning. Another plague. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites. Another example. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all who? The Egyptians. Another example. Hell. The only place where hell did not fall was where? Goshen. Another example. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Now see, now we're getting home. Because the highest god in Egypt is Ra. And Pharaoh is the son of Ra. He is Ra's manifestation on earth. He is the sun god. And gentlemen, what this means is that in Egypt, you could take flint and scratch it, and there would not be a spark. If you took a, a match and struck it, it would not ignite. There was no reflection from any. It was, the Bible describes, a darkness that was palpable. Have you ever been in a place where you literally could not see your hand in front of your eyes? It was like that over all of Egypt except where? Goshen. And then when he said, I'm going to take the firstborn son, now Pharaoh is the god of life. And every firstborn son died except where? Goshen. Gentlemen, You don't have to be a rocket scientist living in Egypt with all the other people groups living in Egypt catching flies and gnats and rivers of blood and hell and this darkness and every time you look over there they're sipping tea. It does not take a rocket scientist to say I don't want to be here. I want to be there. And when God finally prevails and Pharaoh comes back and says, please leave, please leave, and don't come back. Egypt is totally devastated as a country. And so all these non-rocket scientists have a choice. We can follow those people who have a God without territorial bounds who has fed them and is having them walk out with the entire wealth of Egypt or we can stay here in utter devastation and loneliness. What should we do? No brainer. So it's estimated that millions of people left Egypt. But of those millions who left, a significant number were non-Jews, heathens, Gentiles, blacks who said, I don't want this action (laughs) now why before all this breaks out and Jacob is still alive and he finds out that the son Joseph whom he loved and whom he thought had been killed by a lion is not only alive but the second most powerful man in Egypt he says to him right before his death God almighty appeared to me at the land of Luz remember God came down he had the vision and reaffirmed the covenant. That's Luz. God, he was fleeing. God appeared to me uh, at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said, I am going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to you. A company of peoples is expressed in the New American Standard. And it means a congregation, an assembly, a multitude of people groups, Jacob, whose name is what? Israel Israel will come from you. Do you see how he did? I'm going to make a nation of you separate and distinct, but in you all people groups will be blessed. Israel as a nation was born in a foreign Gentile land. They went in as a family called Israel and left as a nation called what? Israel. But leaving now a multitude of peoples. And when you look through the Bible, you will find that Egypt is referred to many times as the land of Ham. For example, Israel also came into Egypt and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. Or here in another psalm, and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strengths, in the tabernacles of Ham. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham. Black nation, black peoples. So Egypt as a nation was born in the womb of Africa. Now, I know today, they use the term Middle East. I want to ask you, is there a continent called Middle East? What is the continent called? Let me hear it. Africa. Africa. We can talk about that separately outside of this lecture. Talk to me. Um, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom. Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Israel learned the glory and power of God at Egypt's expense. He said, I raised up Pharaoh to prove my name. God showed himself a great deliverer by Pharaoh's opposition. But see, gentlemen, God is always so gracious. And he did not destroy without bringing out those who could have their hope in Jesus. They don't know the name, but their hope is in the living God. And God fulfills his covenant with Abraham without stopping. Asenath. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah. Priest of On to be his wife, and Joseph was able to pass throughout the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh gives Joseph his second in the command a black wife. Jacob, I mean Joseph, had two sons with Asenath. The firstborn was Manasseh, and the second one was called Ephraim. Next, please. Now, the 12 tribes of Israel are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Ashton, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. But Joseph actually breaks down into two tribes, the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim. This is one reason I absolutely love to see a Hebrew with kinky hair. I get such a kick out of this and I ask where did you get that hair? Today Jews do not know truly what tribe they belong to because the genealogical record was destroyed in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. Jews know their tribes now mainly by analogy. For example, Shohet means butcher. Well the only people who could butcher meat were Levites. They were the priests who administered at the temple. So I asked one of my friends who is Shohet what tribe he is and he said he's probably a Levite but he doesn't know that from a genealogical record it is a construct that may or may not be accurate but these tribes all grew up in Egypt let's go through that and let's go through that next please okay go through that go through that I'm just trying to tell you here in this that when the land the promised land was divided up Joseph was given a double portion but one portion went to the half tribe Manasseh and the other portion went to Ephraim now Zipporah Moses' wife Miriam and Aaron it says in Genesis 12 began I mean Exodus 12 not Genesis 12 I'm sorry began to talk against Moses because of what? his Cushite wife for he had married a Cushite what does Cush mean? black Okay. keep going again I've talked to you about Cush and and what that means in Ethiopia and what that means keep going Uh, the regions of Egypt, Nubia northern Sudan, this is so important brothers, because right now there is such persecution happening in Sudan against the Christian community in Sudan But if you go there and look at the Christian community in Sudan, they are of course, are much, much blacker than I am. But they have had a tradition of Christianity for centuries. It didn't begin with missionaries, gentlemen. It began with Abraham, you with me? But whenever a people group began to turn away from God and turn toward idolatry, They become enslaved. Doesn't matter what the people group is. It is only when the people group come back to the one God creator that they find freedom. So missionaries who are going to Africa are not introducing the gospel to Africa. They are reintroducing the gospel to Africa. That is why, gentlemen, there, are, there is missionary after missionary who has gone to deep parts of Africa to people groups that had been unreached only to find folk traditions talking about a book that will teach them of a savior who will protect them from, save them from their sins. How did they know that? Next, Please. Please. We've already gone through that. Okay, let's keep going. Now, when Israel was formed as a nation in 1949 in our modern time period, they had heard by rumor and then with increasing evidence that there was a group of Jews trapped in Ethiopia who needed to be rescued. And they had a magnificent airlift into Ethiopia to rescue the Jews who were there and when they went there to the Jewish community they found the Jews who following the liturgical calendar that is a prescribed reading by calendar where you will be in a certain text in the Bible the group of Jews they found were at the exact book exact chapter exact verse that the orthodox Jews were studying in Israel. Though separated for centuries. But they were surprised about one thing. They were black as coal, black as coal. They are called Phalacia Jews or Halacia Jews. They are also called Sephardim, that is they are very, very dark skinned. And if they have a website Because they're still trying to be airlifted out. This website, I think, in 1995 was voted best website of the year. I give it here so you can access it yourself and find this fascinating story. Now, Jesus' genealogy. I, Abraham, am going to bless all people groups in you. And I, God, am going to fulfill my covenant, whether you participate with me or whether you decline to do so. Jesus' genealogy. He's a direct descendant of Rahab the who? Canaanite. Canaanite. Through both Mary and Joseph. I, it is a Eurocentric view of the Bible that has Jesus being Paul Newmanish. Blue eyes, extremely fair skin. That's just a. Uh, that's just Eurocentric. It has nothing to do with, the, with, with Jesus. And the, the Bible doesn't spend much time describing Jesus in the Bible for a lot of reasons. We'll get hung up on that. But nonetheless, when, when, when people do it, they always want to say, my God looks like me. And so when they take the chapter in Isaiah where he says his hair is like sheep's wool, and they think it looks long and straight, or where it says in Revelation that his face is like polished bronze, When if you look at the Greek, it means burnt bronze. Do you know what burnt bronze looks like? Take some bronze, burn it, and see. Jesus' genealogy through Joseph. Again, Rahab, right in there. Next. Keep going. You can get all these in your notes. Just Okay, part four. remember when Thomas is told by the spirit of God to go down by a certain place and he will find there an Ethiopian eunuch. He said draw up next to him and he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch It says I think it's Acts 8 or Acts 9 and what is the Ethiopian doing? Michael? Michael? He's reading in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, talking about the Messiah. Why is he going to Jerusalem? He is going, it tells us, to worship. How would he know to go to Jerusalem to worship? Remember when the queen of Sheba which is the area that encompasses then Ethiopia, goes to Solomon, sees the majesty of God, and says, I have got to take this knowledge back where? Home. God continually manifesting himself to people groups, even though Israel never took on the evangelistic missionary role that God had played, given them. The Abrahamic Covenant, the mystery of the gospel, and the Great Commission. We've gone through the blessing. We've had uh, Paul's explanation of how God is going to bless the heathen, which are you and me. All of us are heathens because we're not Jews, okay, or Gentiles. That's our definition. Now, who are the Gentiles? Well, we've already done Everybody who's not a Jew. Now, the gospel inextricably involves... The Abrahamic Covenant. Faith in the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth. And all people groups. And here is the mystery of the gospel, says Paul. You have heard of the dispensation of the grace which is given to me to you. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Which in other ages was not known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit this is the mystery that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel now the Jews had made a fundamental error about this and their error was that in order to be saved you had to become a Jew first And only by being a Jew could you begin the qualification process to be saved. And that salvation then was a matter of status and works, not relationship and faith. The era of the church that you had to be white or western in order to be saved and as a precondition of salvation. So we're going to take your culture and we got to strip it away. And we're going to give you a Western culture, and with that, you will be saved. It has led to a feeling in in what people call the undeveloped countries of associating Christianity with racism and imperialism. You will hear missionaries say, and, and I have a strong missionary bent, I'm always into missionary news and supporting missionaries. And when I went to South Africa last September, I was trained and trained and trained. When I went over there, I did not talk about Christianity. Christianity is a Western construct. It's, It's imperialism and racism. People don't want to hear it. Oh, but are they hungry to hear about Jesus? Are they hungry to hear about Jesus? Are they hungry to hear that there is salvation from sin? Are they hungry to hear that there's an assurance that you can be with God when you die? And you can go in Africa, and the biggest growth of the church is not in the West. It's in the developing countries. When the uh, uh, one of my good friends is an official in the Episcopal Church, and they have a mass meeting of all Episcopal Church leaders in England, the home of the Anglican Church, and they had a vote. I think two years ago, on whether there would be the ordination of women and whether homosexuals could be priests and the church could marry them. And the Western church voted yes. But it didn't pass as the rule of the Episcopal body. You know why? Because all the African prelates said no. The word of God prohibits that. The Episcopal church, the majority of the Episcopal church, is non-Western. But when you think of it, you think of fairly well-to-do white Episcopalians. But worldwide, the Episcopal Church is non-Western. And the movement of God that's happening around the world is a brilliant thing to see because God is fulfilling his covenant. And the church says sometimes that salvation also is a matter of status and works, not relationship and faith. Now, when the Jews transgressed and by reason of their transgression salvation came to the Gentiles in order to make the Jews jealous. How many of you were either at or viewed the, uh, I I forgot the name again not the million man march but the Stand the stand in the gap Raise your hand if you either attended that or saw it on television. Okay. There was the most moving part, all of it was moving, but the most moving part to me was a Jew who, got, who prayed. You remember that? And he said, oh, God, I am so jealous that you have revealed yourself to these people and they have a relationship with you. I am so jealous. I want that for myself. Next, please seeing the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled in part through the salvation of the Gentiles and being provoked to jealousy because of that, the Jews will repent by plan of God and turn to Christ. The Jews will see through God's dealing with us that the just shall live by faith. Now, how many of you have ever seen, read, or quoted this verse therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new I love it and it's almost always taken out of context I love it but it is almost always taken out of context what does it mean <coughs> Walt who is my spiritual father among other things taught me Whenever you see the word, therefore, what should you do? Why is it there? Something preceded it that led the writer to say, based on this, therefore. Now let's look. Let's go to the top of where it says we are a new creation in Christ. Start at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That's number one. Number two, the love of Christ constrains us. That is, there is something about the movement of God in our hearts that we act even when we do not want to act, or refrain, as we should, even when we want to do something. But the love of Christ impels us to act. Third, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. And, all, and, that, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again therefore we regard no one according to the flesh given because Jesus died for all of us and we don't no longer can live for ourselves but live unto him because his love constrains us to act and because we know that we're going to stand before the judgment seat in an account for our lives therefore Four, we cannot regard anyone after the flesh anymore. I cannot say, here's Michael, my white brother. I cannot say, here's Jonathan Kim, my Korean brother. I cannot say, there's Lloyd Tooks, my black brother. The only thing I am permitted to say under the gospel of Jesus Christ is, here's Jonathan, my brother. Now, the beauty of this is that we are brothers anyway, regardless of whether we know Jesus Christ Because we come from one man. Hutus and Tutsis, it's fratricide. Serbs, Croats, it's fratricide. Regardless of whether they know Jesus, we are brothers. But then step above that. We who are called by God and bathed in his blood, we are brothers twice more. Therefore, I can't say he belongs to this fraternity, that fraternity he's from the south, he's from the north he's from California, he's from square New England that guy is French you know how the French are Or oh, he's a Canuck, he's a Polack I can't do that therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creature old things are passed away all things are become new and then he said As though God were going to the heathen, going to the unsaved, and pleading with them through our mouths.
6: Pleading
1: with them by the kindness we show them. Pleading with them by our generosity to them, even though they hate us or don't know us. God pleads to the elect who don't know that they are saved to come to Jesus by how we deal with them. And so we have this ministry of reconciliation. That's why we are made new creatures in Christ. Know ye therefore that they which are the children of faith are the children of Abraham. And Jesus says, Go, go, and make disciples of who? All people groups. So he says, look, I will make my covenant with you, Abraham. And I am going to make you a father of many people groups. The Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled. It says in Revelation, they sang a new song when Jesus comes back. Saying, worthy art thou who can take the book and break its seal for you were slain and did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and language and people group and political entity or ethnos if you want to and all of them together and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. I mentioned Joe D'Souza, an East Indian, and in a wonderful conversation which he shared with me, he asked me to think about God. And he asked me to imagine the closing ceremony at the Summer Olympics when all the nations, one at a time, parade through the grounds in their cultural dress, carrying their flag, approaching the Olympic torch. And he said, Bill, just think what it will be when we go before the throne of God. Every people group, every color, every hue, every language, every tribe, God by his sovereign grace is reaching down into every single people group from all time. There will be a representative from each one. Not a single people group will not be represented before the throne of God because of us, no, because God fulfills his covenant with Abraham. And the challenge for us, brothers, is can God use us to go to somebody who does not look like us, to tell them about Jesus or to build them up in Jesus. Thank you.